Hello, and thank you for joining us here on The Neutral Zone. I am Phil Milani, joined as always by my good friend, Eric Delala. Phil? That's it. That's it. That's the intro now, Eric. Well, they uh, they really got to you, didn't they? Eric, you know, this is a show for the people. You know, we listen to our viewers, our listeners, and we adjust. And the feedback that we've been getting based off of the intro that we've done, it's not been good, Eric. I think one person thought that, Phil. Yeah, that it that it could be true. Uh, one listener, Rick Owens, he's, he's a contacted us several ways and said your introduction is lame. Yeah, and you know, commenting on YouTube is fine. Leaving a voice message at seven zero seven neutral that works too. Leaving an email at neutralzoneshow at gmail that's also okay. But showing up at your doorstep, Phil, I think was probably a step <laughs> too far for Rick Owens. Yeah, that was a step too far. I, I agree. So, uh, Rick, but let's tone it down a little bit. Maybe, maybe that intro has run its course. So, um, you know, we'll have to uh, we'll have to adjust. You can just be my good friend now. That's okay. We'll uh, I'll get over it. I'll, I'll get over it. <laughs> well, the good news is that we've got a great show in store for everybody today. NZ Nation, you're welcome. This is going to be a this is going to be a good one. We're going to talk about the quarterback prospects a little bit more now that all of them have conducted their pro days. Maybe uh, Eric will rank them, rank them, and talk about whether or not it still makes sense for the Broncos to be looking at these guys, doing their homework on them, and uh, if, maybe if there's a best fit for the Broncos among the top quarterback prospects. Yeah. And, you know, will any of them be there at nine and do the Broncos still have a chance to get one of these guys? Maybe uh, I think it actually might be more likely than it was a week ago for the Broncos to get one of these guys. Really? Oh, well, you have to yeah. explain. You have yeah. to explain why you think that. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to uh, go back and forth on it. I, I've sort of wrapped my mind around going into the season with Drew Locke as, as a quarterback, but We'll, we'll break that all down, Eric. Um, then we'll dive into the new 17-game schedule. The Broncos are going to be hosting the Detroit Lions in 2021 as part of this new format. But uh, it got us thinking, Eric, you know, what records, season records, could be broken now that there's an extra game to accomplish this? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll fall at some point, but they might be might be safer than you think, Phil. Yes, I agree. Having gone through the media guide, some of these Broncos records are really etched in stone right now. So uh, I, I'd be surprised if anything soon gets broken, but uh, maybe they'll have to have like an asterisk system, uh, Eric, because mm. like, hey, this was the 16 game season, kind of like what they do for the uh, strike season. They say, hey, only only nine games this year. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. I'm not sure if I quite agree with you. Okay, okay. And then uh, uh, we'll also uh, discuss some international games. Uh, part of the new format is there's going to be four international games every season starting in 2022, and not just in England and Mexico. Could be some expansion going on here, Eric. I'm excited, Phil. I think uh, Germany among them, South America, Canada, but it got us thinking. What would be the coolest place to play a football game 
think I know my answer already. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. Uh, is it limited to just the potential locations or can we just say anywhere in the world? This would anywhere be the- that would be cool. Anywhere that would be cool to play a game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll have to think about that one. Eric, I know somebody who's very excited about playing more international games. That's Lambo UK commented on YouTube said, hi from England. I watch the podcast every week. The defense is set. We can stop any team scoring over 20 ish, but can the offense score more than 20? Mm. It's the uh, million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what we've been hoping for for the last several years. It's been a while, Phil, since the Broncos have been, even near average in scoring offense. So that's got to improve above anything else. Yes. Yes. A couple of other uh, YouTube comments to get to here. Uh, Michael Pack, Eric and Phil, thank you for keeping us informed on our beloved Broncos. Blessings to you both. Thank you very much, Michael Pack. Appreciate that. Eric Ramos, as usual, commenting. Uh, Robert Jaquez, looks like you guys are getting along better. I'm very excited for the way things are going. You got to treat your good players right. Eric, we always get along. I don't know what people are. That's true. We try to treat each other right when we can. Yeah. Respect each other. But sometimes the takes are so ridiculous that we got to let each other. We got to let each other know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth B. Dillard, you guys rock for sure. Keep up the info. Appreciate that. We will. Dustin Holtz, love your podcast. Go Broncos DB for L. I think that means for life. (laughs) I think it does. Yeah. Uh, Mark Coleman, love the show from up on the great white North. I think that means Canada. (laughs) Maybe North Dakota, maybe a Trey Lance fan, you know. We uh, got a lot of people requesting shout outs this, this week. It was very nice. Yes. A lot of comments on YouTube. Really appreciate those. Keep them coming here. Just a couple more. I want to uh, highlight here, Eric. Sarah Khan says, where can I buy a Phil Milani Jersey? They don't sell those. You don't want one of those. Not I, you with any Jersey. You want to make sure that they're going to be there for a few years so that there is <laughs> value in that Jersey. And Phil, I'm just, I'm not so sure. Eric, we're all day today. But, exactly. Yeah. Um, I got hot st- on the trade market these days. <laughs> I got a stack of jerseys right over here, so <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could send them out. Um, and then uh, uh, the last one I wanted to get to here was from Tom Agnetti. He got he goes, uh, "Hi guys, first off, I love your show and enjoy the witty back and forth banter. That's sort of our trademark here." Um, yeah, Rick. He says, uh, uh, you guys need nicknames. My vote is Eric, the paperboy Delala, and Phil, forget about it, Milani. Based off the fact that I'm almost positive Eric is my paperboy. I'm not sure what that means. And Phil can I, with a gold chain. Can I confirm? <laughs> and Phil with a gold chain that Akib Talib would snatch would definitely, would absolutely look gangsta. I'm not sure that's that, enough. It's an all-time comment, I think. Um, he goes on and says, I have a segment idea, neutral zone infraction. This week, Eric is flagged for walking all over Phil's perspective on the draft, regardless of player and position mentioned. He treated Phil like he treats my newspaper, and that's not okay. 
gosh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> then he says another observation is while while Phil will almost will most certainly be getting invited to Von Miller's birthday party. Eric has no chance. Paper boys don't paper boys don't get to go to the party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll be writing about the party. And uh that's about it. Phil, yeah. I did think there were a couple other comments if I could Ooh. intrude for <laughs> one second. Yeah. Any uh any that say where can I buy a Delala jersey? Yeah, yeah, that's weird that <laughs> you didn't read that one. Um, I just wanted to say to AA Ron who commented, this this kind of hurt my feelings, even Ooh, though it's okay. meant to hurt Phil's feelings. He said Phil is hard to watch. He is a behind the scenes or a radio guy. How the heck did he get a lead role for Broncos media? And Phil, our question, one, why are you so mean? Two, a radio guy would kind of be the same thing as listening to a podcast. So that kind of is what you do. So I'm a little confused there by the sentiment to maybe, begin with. Maybe uh, he was watching the neutral zone and that was like the last straw. Like he had seen yeah. my, my other stuff that's meant for video. And then he yeah. was watching this and said, that's the last straw. I can't handle it anymore. Yeah. A -A the, yeah. Maybe just listen to the, the podcast version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher. Um, Phil, one, one last comment I thought was a good question that maybe people wonder. Lisa Lane said, I love the comedy show you two put on. Serious question. Are you privy to inside information because you work for the Broncos and are inside the building? If so, are you required not to disclose it until after the team has released the info or other sources report it? Um, to clarify, you're clearly not in the building. So you, uh, right you now, but any... I think she means by working for the Broncos. And, you know, like uh, I wish that I could tell you what the plan was for uh, acquiring Russell Wilson, but I can't really divulge that information. So. <laughs> No, Lisa, to answer your question, I do think that both of us uh, at times hear things. Uh, some some are more concrete than others. Some are things that we might have to plan for, prepare for that ne never end up happening. And so there's, you know, you have to be careful with what you uh, tweet, what you say. I would, um, I would never let that information inform a tweet or an opinion. I just kind of, if they happen to be in line, that's okay. But I would never use that info to then say, like, hey, Phil, here's a here's a really good take. What if the Broncos pick up Von Miller's option? I feel really good about that. Yes, um, that's true. So uh, there, there are some maybe restrictions that you have from working inside the building, but I also think you end up going down the right path a little bit more often, maybe. Yeah, and I just think that, you know, our access is pretty good. So, like, that means that, like, say we bump into somebody in the hallway, we might ask them a couple questions or something. Maybe we're, like, a little more informed than uh, everybody who's online these days just taking their hot takes. Eric, I know that, I know that like, uh, for example, when I tweet something, people say, okay, that's the way it is. But sometimes when you tweet something, Eric, um, they think you're spinning it or they kind of give you a hard time on Twitter, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. The you spin know. zone. That's what they yeah. say about you. Like when I tweet, they're like, wow, really funny or yeah. informative. Yeah. But when you you're tweet, like, this QB has got a cannon and people are like, <laughs> six yes. people are like, I got a favorite that. I'm so, here for them. Uh, I'm here for them. Yeah, it, it can be difficult, Phil, when you see things online or speculation on Twitter that you just know is not true from being around the building it can be difficult to to resist the urge to chime in and be like you have no idea what you're talking about but that's the that's the burden we bear yeah 
And sometimes you got to let people on Twitter know, like, hey, knock it off. Yeah. And sometimes Ben Swanson is like, what's going on? I haven't heard anything in weeks. Can you, like, who did we sign in free agency? I haven't been able to step away from the easel. Yeah. Like, he's like, um, my reception on my phone's not great at the Botanic Gardens. Exactly. Like, yeah. Uh, did, ever- did I miss something? Rick Owens, Ben Swanson says, meet him at the Botanic Gardens at high noon. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure this thing out. Okay. Rick Owens doesn't like the intro, so boom, we changed the intro. It's that yeah. simple. So That's because- what happens if someone says they just don't like the podcast? We're, just, we're done. <laughs> I, I'm here for the people. I'm here for the listeners. So Yeah. Eric, uh, if somebody wanted to get involved in the show, uh, I know you mentioned it briefly earlier, but let's mention it one more time. 707 Neutral, you can leave a voicemail. We'll play it. Just you leave it and we'll play it. But there's other ways you can get involved too. That's right. You can leave an email at neutralzoneshow at gmail.com. You can tweet out of the official podcast account, Broncos Podcasts, or Phil, they can reach out to our individual Twitters, which I guess I'll just say, since we're doing nothing normal, it's Eric Delala with an A, Phil Milani with a PH, and uh, we won't even comment about the spelling since certain people probably don't like that either. A PH for the for an F sound is very strange. If you ask me. Yes. Very, very strange. Yeah. And um, if you want to blast Eric, that probably at Eric Delilah is the be- best way to do that. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're like, and it sounds like you're spinning something. Blast Come get him. me. Come after yeah. him. Yeah. Or get me. leave a comment right here on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, we really appreciate all of the feedback. Seriously. We appreciate the feedback and uh, uh, it's fun to go through the comments and sometimes it even has an impact on how we do the show. Yeah. Anything else they should do with like that subscribe button? Smash that subscribe button. Smash it. Eric, with that, let's dive right into our first topic here. And that's the ranking of the top quarterback prospects in this year's draft. I got a feeling that Trevor Lawrence is probably uh, the number one guy. Yeah, I think that, that there's almost no, it's not worth spending much time on him because what he did in college um, from the time he was a freshman going forward was just really incredible. I think it's clear he's a number one guy. Someone mentioned today, like, where's that chatter about Trevor Lawrence's pro day? And it's just, it's not even worth talking about because he's just assumed to be the number one pick. He's going to be the number one pick. The draft starts at the number two position. Yeah. You know, uh, he's got to be probably the closest thing to a slam dunk since Andrew Luck, maybe uh, before that, maybe like Troy Aikman. Um, because even when Peyton Manning was coming out, it was him or Ryan Leaf, you know? So just in terms of just, you know, that this guy's going to be a solid pro and he's obviously the number one pick. I think yes. those are, you know, John Elway obviously uh, fits that that mold, but I don't think there's really any question about what he's capable of. Part of the reason why he's so ingrained in that spot is he's been the number one guy his entire life. You know, like he was the quarterback coming out of high school. Um, he was the man at Clemson. He won a national championship his freshman year. And once again, coming into the NFL, he's the guy. 
Yeah, and I think so then it it starts with the number two quarterback. And I also think, Phil, over the last few weeks, that be, that has become pretty um, solidified and that a lot of people think Zach Wilson from BYU, after the step forward he took this past year, that he's the likely pick for the Jets, um, that he's going to be taken with that number two selection. And I kind of, you know, when I think about this, Phil, I think the Broncos' evaluation of which quarterback to take, it starts with the three guys after Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, because I don't think there's any chance that either of those two guys will be available after the second pick. Did Zach Wilson's pro day cement that, or why do you feel like he's so locked into that number two spot? Uh, Yeah, I think the pro day had something to do with it. I think when you think about his mobility, his arm strength, um, some of the plays he was able to make, he just kind of rose a little bit above that next crop of guys. I think there's, there's questions about the rest of those guys, not that they couldn't end up being better than Zach Wilson. And I think you look at the way quarterback evaluation happens. You look back at last year, two overs, Justin Herbert, two goes first, but Justin Herbert inarguably had a better rookie season. I mean, those things happen, but I think when, when you're looking at an evaluation standpoint, I think Zach Wilson has fewer question marks and that probably puts him at that number two position for me. Any concern for you, taking a BYU quarterback and throwing him to the Wolves in New York? No, I know that uh, we, we've talked about this a little bit off the air, Phil. We don't often talk off the air. We try to just save it all for the podcast. But uh, I think if you can play football, you can play football. I don't think it much, Matt. I know there's some talk about, you know, can you survive in a tough media market? Well, listen, I think Sam Darnold's you know, he went to school in L.A., think he's done a decent job dealing with the media they beat him up a little bit after his mono diagnosis that was last year I guess right but or two years ago um but he's I mean he's handled that part of it well and yet still hasn't had the on the field success so I don't think your off-field demeanor necessarily has a ton to do with if you're going to succeed there I think if he can play football well and he can read a defense and he can not turn the ball over you're going to be successful yeah, I, I agree for the most part. I, I just think that there is something to not necessarily, oh, like you can't handle the media, but I do think that the atmosphere is just going to be so different and the amount of pressure and the amount of attention and everything, the amount of bright lights, sometimes that can be a little overwhelming, even if you're a tremendous college quarterback. So it's not that I would be concerned about that. It's just that he hasn't really faced that. Like say, for example, Trevor Lawrence, like he's been in the spotlight ever since he was a kid and he's had this pressure and he's faced tough questions his whole life. That's not necessarily been the case for Zach Wilson. So it's not so much that I'm concerned about it. It's just, that's going to be new for him. Right. But I think any, even for Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he's, he's been in the spotlight, but he's gone from Clemson media, which is, you know, strong for a collegiate group, but still nothing compared to what he's going to face from New York. And I think in college, no matter what, when you face negative questions, they're not nearly as tough as it's going to be to go to a a New York or a Philly. So I think there'll be an adjustment for everybody though. I, I don't disagree with you that he's probably more prepared than, than most of these guys. You mean Jackson, him going to Jacksonville, facing that media there? Not New, well, York. Not New yeah. York. No, I, New I mean, York. right. But I mean, if he were to, uh, oh. you were talking about it in the in the premise of um, him going 
to a place like New York, I, I think there would still be an adjustment. No, he'll be fine going to Jacksonville. I'm not concerned about that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I do think that he's pretty much a slam dunk uh, for that number two spot. He seems to be the closest thing after Lawrence to being ready for the NFL, like right away. So, and I think that if you're coming in there and you're going to be faced with replacing Sam Darnold, another top five pick there for the Jets, there's going to be some expectations right away. And he's probably the next guy who's ready to just play uh, immediately. Now, the number three spot is sort of interesting, Eric, and that's just because the 49ers made this huge move, gave up a lot of capital to go up to number three. So they probably feel pretty good about what's going to happen in those first two slots, just like we do. But number three now becomes a little bit of a question mark. A lot of people have their takes out there as to why the 49ers moved up. What's yours? Well, I kind of buy the Mac Jones hype um, in terms of that being what they want to do. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he is my third quarterback. He's not. Um, and again, I, I don't pretend to know as much as these NFL decision makers. This is based on pro days and watching them play in college and kind of extrapolating to what they can do in the league. But Phil, I think this is where the Broncos get a real boost. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I think the Broncos chances of landing a quarterback they want is higher now than it was a week ago. If Mac Jones goes at three, that obviously increases the chance of Trey Lance or Justin Fields falling to nine, or at least within range that the Broncos can go up and get that guy. Because say that Trey Lance or Justin Fields goes three, then all of a sudden you're in a situation where, you know, it seems like most teams have Lance and Fields in some order as, th as three and four. And so if one of those guys goes at three and then the Panthers are still ahead of you at eight, it, it makes it very difficult for the Broncos to then get one of those top four guys. But if Mac Jones all of a sudden goes at three, you now have a much better chance of being able to, now you've got two guys left for five spots instead of only one guy. You've got a better opportunity. Um, so with all that said, Phil, I, I think that Mac Jones will go third overall, but to me, Trey Lance is probably the third best quarterback and the guy that I would prefer. Like if you were listing, who do I want for the Broncos? He's the third guy on that list. Uh, just really impressive potential. I know he only played one season, but in against a, obviously a down level of competition compared to guys that played in the SEC, ACC, but just does a lot of impressive things. Doesn't turn the ball over, at least at the collegiate level. And I think if there's one thing this Broncos offense needs, it's a quarterback that can get guys the ball, not make those mistakes, and just kind of stay out of the way and let the playmakers do their thing. And if you can do that, this defense is going to be good enough to keep you in games. And so a guy like Trey Lance, I think uh, is a really intriguing option. And to me, he stands out as the number three guy. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, I would have thought that maybe just the lack of resume would have you worried about uh, making him the third overall quarterback. I agree with you, Eric, that the 49ers don't move up to three unless it is to take a quarterback. So um, if they're going to take a quarterback there, then no matter what, there's going to be two other guys left over from this five, five top five group. So, and, and then after that, the Falcons sit at four, they could be looking at maybe a Matt Ryan replacement uh, down the line. So um, they could take a quarterback, but after that, I don't really see 
you know, like uh, the Bengals definitely aren't going to take a quarterback. The Dolphins aren't going to take a quarterback. It's possible the Lions, we don't really know what they think about Goff. And it's possible the Panthers, uh, just because maybe they're not 100% locked in, committed to uh, Teddy Bridgewater there. So there's still some teams that could, as it stands right now, select their quarterback um, and remove the option for the Broncos. Maybe some more trades are going to happen too. But in terms of just ranking, I do think that the 49ers going up it makes a lot of sense for Mac Jones to be that guy just because like I mentioned previously with the jets, he's probably the third most ready for the NFL of these guys. His accuracy is through the roof and he's going to be asked to replace Jimmy Garoppolo. So you got to be ready to go right away. Even though the 49ers do say that they're committed to Jimmy Garoppolo right now, you don't really make a big move like that unless it is to get a quarterback in my mind, in my mind. Um, but Eric, the guy who I'm really intrigued about the most is Justin Fields. I think that here's what I think after watching these pro days and after looking at their college resumes, there's a couple of things that I'm really interested in. If you're talking about being a top 10 quarterback, one of them is your love of football, your passion for the game. Are you going to be in the building all the time? Are you going to be doing your homework? Are you going to be able to adapt to the NFL game? I think the Broncos have had problems with that, uh, with a guy like Paxton Lynch. Uh, didn't seem to have that passion for football. Justin Fields, based off of like just what I've seen, seems to have that leadership quality, to have that, that drive to want to be the best. I, I think that that is really an undervalued thing, you know, I'd love to see like what Justin Fields is like up at a whiteboard, drawing up the play, communicating what his reads are. And, and if he could sell you there, I think that he might be the next quarterback. I, I think I might have him number three. Um, just because I like the fact that he has played in big games. I like the fact that he went head to head with Trevor Lawrence and beat him in that college football playoff game. I like seeing those things and much like trevor lawrence justin fields has been the guy ever since high school i mean those two have almost been joined at the hip in terms of going through things um so uh, i i'm most intrigued by him i think he's got the chance to be a really really special quarterback um if if he can sell you on his his knowledge of the game and his passion and his drive if he's got that checked off, I think that he would be a really intriguing option. And of these guys, he's probably the most likely to be there for the Broncos at nine, as it stands right now. Yeah, I agree with you that he's more likely to, to be there at nine. And I think really the Broncos, I don't know their evaluation of Mac Jones or any of these guys, but I would be surprised if Mac Jones were the pick at nine, whereas I could easily see if either Trey Lance or Justin Fields were there at nine, they'd go with one of those guys. Um, because of potential. I don't think any, you like the potential. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that there's anyone who can question his passion. Obviously, he took that huge hit against Clemson. And he stayed in. Um, I even think the, the whole thing about him not going past his first read or second read is overstated because what he mentioned during his press conference was just everyone's open at Ohio State on my first or second read, so I don't have to go to the third or fourth read. Um, uh, my few concerns with him, 
he didn't play all that well when he faced elite, elite defenses, which you're talking about Northwestern and Alabama last year. The two, those two games that he played, he did not look great, um, which concerns me because obviously you want to see guys thrive uh, against the top competition. And we've seen Trevor Lawrence do that at times. Obviously we've seen Justin Fields do it at times too, but his sample size as well is, is a little bit less than um, what we've seen from Trevor Lawrence, a, a two-year starter. He was incredible in 2019, 41 touchdowns, three picks, had 22 touchdowns, six picks this past year. Um, I, I just, I, Justin Fields for me is four. Um, for me, I've almost seen, because I've seen him have those two bad games, and maybe that's uh, a little too tough of me that two bad games are putting him below a guy that's played one season. But because I've seen the way teams have been able to stop him, I wonder um, if he's going to be able to to make that transition. Phil, I will say the, the one thing, you know, you mentioned the leadership. I think that should be a bare minimum. I think whoever you draft a quarterback and all these guys should be um, in the building first. They should be leading the team. They should be leading by example. But it's clear that that's not the only thing you need. Like Drew Locke, by all accounts, has that same sort of uh, personality that people are gravitate to and he worked hard and at least until right now the play on the field hasn't matched up to that so it can't just be about leadership it has to be about more than that um, I feel like we'll, we'll say one thing that's interesting sorry go ahead well I was going to say just the, by the measurables like what I've seen from them they seem to all have the physical characteristics of of they got big arms they're really athletic they can move around uh, so then I'm like, okay, you've got the, you've got the body type. You're, you're ready to go there. Now I'm talking about off the field stuff. So, so when I say leadership, I'm talking about the whole package of off the field, you know, are right. you, are, do you got the, the smarts to be able to deliver a play call in the huddle? Or do you know where you're going with the football? Can you diagnose a defense? Can you do all those things? Eric, the one concern I, I would just say based off of your rationale there is you've seen Justin Fields struggle in those games because he's faced that competition. You don't really know what Trey Lance would do if you would have inserted him into that position and faced that Alabama defense. It's no, you have, more, you have more no of a idea. mystery. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you can, you can make the same argument with Mac Jones that he's got a ton of time in the pocket. He's got incredible wide receivers on the outside. So how do you get a true evaluation of him? And if it were if it were as easy as putting all these quarterbacks in the same conference or giving them the exact same level of talent on their side of the ball or um, running the same playbook or, you know, all that stuff, if you were able to make these constants the way you kind of can in the NFL when you analyze guys because they're at least facing similar levels of competition, then then evaluating quarterbacks would be much easier. But it's not – that's part of the game is that you have to figure out, hey – how do you compare Mac Jones with this incredible offensive line and receiving core versus Trey Lance, who probably is facing uh, inferior or is facing inferior competition, but also has inferior talent versus Zach Wilson versus Justin Fields, whose own team is really good. You know, I mean, that's the that's the difficulty of it. That's why I think that uh, the meeting rooms are going to be really crucial in terms of just getting a feel for the guy, understanding what he's all about. And it, it, to me, if Justin Fields can deliver there, then to me, he's the number three guy. And a guy like Trey Lance, we've heard a lot about him being really uh, 
good on the whiteboard has been able to really digest the playbook and it's just been absolutely tremendous in that area. So, um, and I haven't necessarily heard anything about Justin Fields that suggests he wouldn't do well in that whiteboard scenario. So I don't want to unfairly pin that on him either, but Phil, it is interesting that these guys are all kind of grouped toward the top um, because a couple of years ago when Drew Locke was drafted, the big four was kind of Drew Locke, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, and Daniel Jones. And there was also talk of, Hey, are all those guys going to go in the top 10? Could all of them go in the top 15? Kyler Murray goes one, Daniel Jones falls to seven. Dwayne Haskins goes all the way to 15. And then of course, Drew falls to the second round. So I'm, there's always this talk ahead of the draft of, Hey, people are going to move up to get quarterbacks and it doesn't always pan out that way. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether if Justin Fields is not the Panthers top guy or Trey Lance is not the Panthers top guy and, and they fall, you know, does that mean some, someone could get to the Broncos at nine? I, I think that it's maybe even more possible than not that that happens just because nothing ever shakes out exactly like you think on draft night. Uh- Based off of my, of my early impressions of this class, it looks like it could be a really good quarterback class. They've all had tremendous pro days, um, just showing off their physical talent. Seems like everybody has a good pro day, though, Eric. I don't remember the last time someone had a disastrous pro day where you're just like, oh, my goodness, what's the matter with this guy? So they've all checked that mark. I will also say it does seem like now in the NFL, more than ever, teams are willing to just scrap what they've got and, and do something new, like really quickly. Like two years ago, Jimmy Garoppolo was starting the Super Bowl for the 49ers. And now they're saying this guy's not good enough. It does seem rather haste in my mind. And it seems like more teams are like that now in the NFL, even versus just a couple of years ago, including potentially the Broncos, where you're talking about Drew Locke. He really has not played in the NFL that long. And the way that fans are talking about him, the way some people are talking about him, Eric, make it seem like he's just already done. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that speaks to the short attention spans and the short leashes that coaches and general managers get. They know that they've got to put things together quickly or else they're going to be gone. I mean, Doug Peterson was fired from Philadelphia just a couple of years after he won the Super Bowl. I think the other thing is teams are starting to realize more and more the value of having a quarterback on a rookie contract. And so if you know that a guy is not the long-term guy or a top 10 guy, it might not be worth paying him, you know, top dollar. It might be better to go find a quarterback through the draft. Or if you have a guy like a Jimmy G who, is making that sort of money and is not performing to that level, you know, you've got to move on and find somebody else. And so that to me explains some of it. Um, and listen, we don't know for sure that Drew Locke is, is gone or not going to start or that the Broncos are going to draft a quarterback. I think a lot of it has to do with how the draft falls, but the fact that they're doing their homework does suggest Phil that um, there's that chance and there's that possibility. And maybe that inspires Drew to go play better this year if he if he remains the guy uh one last question on this and then we can move on to uh, the 17 game schedule here eric but my question is this does one of these quarterbacks give the bronc do they give the broncos a better chance to win more games next season than drew lock i mean any of them do if they cannot turn the ball over 
15 to 20 times. I mean, it, it really is that simple. It, I like Drew as a, a quarterback, as a prospect, as, you know, when looking at his potential, I still think he can get there because you see it at moments, you know, when you, you watch the Panthers game or you watch him later that season playing pretty well against the Chiefs or playing well against the Chargers or the Raiders. I mean, you see it, but in this league, you don't get to just show potential every once in a while. You've got to do it way more often and you've got to not make the huge mistakes. And Phil, you look at a guy like Justin Herbert last year, he made the Chargers much better because he didn't make those huge mistakes all that often. And so if a guy like like Trey Lance or Mac Jones, who obviously had a very, very high completion percentage at Alabama, or uh, Justin Fields, who got the ball out quick at Ohio State, if any of those guys came in and could just make the simple throws and not turn the ball over, they would be an improvement. And Drew, too. I mean, if Drew can figure that out and just make the easy plays and not turn the ball over and even sometimes feel just lift to punt, throw it away and punt, I mean, that would be an improvement. But for me, I've got – I've got to see that from Drew and I've got to see him do that before I believe that he's flipped the switch because I do, I do believe that some of that from him is mentality. You know, he's, he's got to change his mentality a little bit. So, so like Trey Lance Broncos quarterback, 2021 versus Drew Locke, 2021, which, which one who's winning more games. I think that there's a, a really decent chance that, even as a rookie, Trey Lance could win more games. Because mm. to me, I would say that out of all these guys, like other than Trevor Lawrence, obviously, but other than these other guys, I would say Drew Locke gives the Broncos the best chance to win more games this season. But two years from now, maybe that's a, a, a different story. And you have right. to you have to sort of think about that because the Broncos don't want to be drafting this high again. So, I mean, it's a unique position to be in. If you have to win five games this coming year so that you can win 10 or 11 the next year, that's a that's a trade you have to make. The The issue is that if you get stuck winning, you, you decide, hey, we're going to roll with Drew because he gives us a better chance this year, and you go 7 and 11, 7 and 10. Sorry, <laughs> sorry I'm still doing the math in my head. You go 7 and 10 because you wanted to roll with Drew and it didn't work out, or you go 8 and 9. And it's still not good enough, but now you're not in position to get that guy. I mean, I, I think there's value in letting a rookie kind of work it out. And I think your your question in some ways is a little slanted because I think Trey Lance is the least ready to play right away. You know, I think Justin Fields and Mac Jones of those three guys are more prepared. But yeah, I mean, I mean, we've seen rookies succeed, especially in today's NFL, they've been able to come in and, and perform a little bit faster. Joe Burrow certainly played well in his limited action. Justin Herbert, Tua did okay at times. Um, but Phil, I mean, you can't, you can't, I think as much of a projection as you're doing with some of these quarterbacks to the NFL, you're also having to project, can Drew Locke stop turning the ball over and can he make that step? So it's not like you have a totally known commodity. Like if you're last thing I'll say on this, if you're if you're Miami last year and you're thinking, do we take two or does Ryan Fitzpatrick start? You know exactly what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's not going to change at all. You know what his ceiling is. You know what his floor is. You know how he's going to essentially play every game. So you're only evaluating one unknown. Denver is essentially evaluating two unknowns because you don't know if Drew can take that step and you don't know if any of these quarterbacks 
can step in and play well. So th that's what makes it more difficult and why this conversation is so convoluted for Denver. The one benefit the Broncos do have in evaluating Drew Locke is that the offensive coaches have been with him for a season. So they, they've been next to him. They've been in meeting rooms with him. They've seen him against NFL competition. They probably have a better idea of what he can do versus the college prospects. But you do have to compare your option at quarterback to Drew Locke head-to-head. Uh, -head. You have yeah. to say, if we take this guy, is he going to be better than Drew? And you got to make that decision. And uh, that's what the Broncos uh, are going through the process right now of doing that. So Definitely. Eric, let's talk about this 17-game schedule a little bit here. Uh, the Broncos uh, will be hosting the Detroit Lions. There's only going to be three preseason games, and then there'll be an extra game tacked on to the end of the season. So it's not like everything's getting moved up one, one week. This is going to be tacked on to the end. It's going to push the season back all one week. So now you're talking about um, what is that president's day weekend there in February for the Super Bowl. So the week before president's day week before president's day. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. So week before that, Eric, it made us wonder though. Okay. Now that there's an extra game, are any Broncos season records in jeopardy here? So I thought, what what if I uh, went down the list here and uh, you tell me in jeopardy or not? Okay. How do you feel about that? I feel I feel good. Okay, so the most passing yards in a season for the Broncos, obviously Peyton Manning, 2013, 5,477 yards passing. That is an NFL record. I mean, I don't. I don't know. That's probably the most breakable of some of these, not by a Broncos player. Are you talking about Broncos player or well, anyone in the I league? I just mentioned that, hey, this is also an NFL record. So yeah. with this one, it could be both. So I thought it was interesting. Somebody went through and took a look. How long did it take after the, the season moved from 14 games to 16 games? How long did it take before that record was broken? the all-time passing single season passing yardage record it only took two years for that to get broken that's a little bit different because this is seven it's a one game jump instead of two games from 14 to 16 but I, I still think um that was doable relatively quickly just because um the way the game is headed how often teams are throwing the ball um, you get the sense that someone could do that now it's a lot of yards per game, Phil. I don't know if you could divide that um, based on the number in front of you and, and figure out how many yards per game that would be. But what did you say the uh, the record was? 5,477 yards. So, so that's 322 yards per game to get to that. It's certainly not out of the question. I, I think it's unlikely that a Broncos player is going to get to that anytime yeah. soon just because – the Broncos haven't had someone throw over 4,000 yards in quite a while, I think, probably since – I don't think anybody has done that since Peyton left, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that, it's safe in Denver for a little bit, but I think in jeopardy of uh, being broken across the league maybe. So to give you an idea of, like, what's going on around Peyton Manning, he beat Drew Brees' record by just one yard. So, so as amazing as that 2013 season was, he only beat – Drew Brees by one, but Brees does occupy four of the top six spots. Tom Brady is the other guy. So I do think that it's possible. Patrick Mahomes, best season, 
5,097 yards. That's probably the guy that some of these quarterback records, you got to be worried about him probably the most. So I do think that it's possible that that'll get broken next season, but unlikely is what I would say. Unlikely. Definitely not by Drew Locke or uh, whoever ends up being the quarterback. The the most recent Case Keenum in 2018 threw for almost 3,900 yards, so he was still 1,500 yards short of this. So that's a lot of yards. Yeah, Peyton's, and, Peyton's okay. Yeah, uh, the next one most passing touchdowns in a season, also 2013. Peyton Manning, 55. Eric. Yeah, and I broke this down. So he averaged 3.4 touchdown passes per game in a seven. So that's 3.4 in a 17 game schedule, a quarterback still needs 3.3 touchdowns per game to break that record and get to 56, which not a, not a very big drop there. Obviously the closest guys to that ever are Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. They had 50 apiece at various times. Brady held the record of course, for a little bit, a long while, actually um, that in those seasons, they averaged 3.1 touchdowns per game. So they were still, I mean, Peyton's closer to what you would need now than they were to getting to that mark. So uh, I would guess that record still stands for a little bit. I mean, a guy like Patrick Mahomes could certainly break it. He's probably right now the the guy that you point to with a lot of these passing records, you know, as the, the guy who could break him. But I don't necessarily see that number just getting shattered right away. If you were to tell me that in 10 years, Peyton still held that, I would be a little surprised, but not not overly shocked. I mean, Dan Marino held the record at 48 for a really long time. Peyton Manning broke that record, but uh, he he broke that or Marino set that record in 1984, and then it lasted for a long time. So, uh, 20 years. Man, yeah, Manning broke it in 2004. So, I could see this one lasting for a while, just because I mean, Manning threw seven touchdowns in one game. I mean, you got to yeah. have – it's not like you're going out there every game throwing consistently three, four touchdowns, and that's how you do it. You're going to have to have some games where you go way up uh, just to, like, have a chance. I just don't think so. I mean, Manning was, like, peak Manning that year, and he had a ton of weapons. And on top of that, his defense was not great. So in some of those games, they had to score a ton of points. So you're talking about a perfect formula there in order to throw 55 touchdowns, a lot of weapons, peak performance from the quarterback and the need to do it. So, and health, I'm talking, you got to be healthy for all these games too. So that one, I really, I think that one's probably safe for a while. Yeah. I mean, it was broken three, three times in relatively quick succession. You had, Peyton in 2004, I think Brady in 07 with that New England team, and then Manning again in 2013. So three times in a decade, it's obviously stood for a little bit, but Mahomes was Mahomes was close, Phil. I mean, he went into the last part of the season definitely on track. He had, I think, four, five, four touchdown games through 12 weeks. He had two six touchdown games through 12 weeks. He really was hurt because he had one game against Jacksonville where he had no touchdowns, and then the final four weeks of the season he went two two three two so fell off the pace there still ended up with 50 but um he was he was really close but that i mean that also speaks to how difficult it is to have the record that you can't 
you've got to maintain it for the whole season. You can't have a game where you have zero or one or else you're just going to fall off the pace. So and um, that was an amazing season and he was still five off. I mean, that, that just sort of tells you now, obviously he's going to have one additional game to try and do this, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it's safe for a little while, but it's a good thing. We're not recording this. <laughs> it is a good thing. Okay, let's move on to the next one here, uh, Eric. Rushing yards in a season, Terrell Davis, 1998, 2008 yards. I mean, as a team record, that's not going anywhere. Just yep. because the, the way the NFL works now, you maybe get one running back a year across the league that pushes the 2,000-yard mark. And you might, you might see more of that across the league, you know, where you get um, maybe there's two or three of them a year now, or maybe – it's just not, I mean, a, a thousand yard rushing season doesn't, isn't going to mean anything anymore. It's like, I think a 56 yards a game or something like that. Um, but in Denver, you just need a really great running backfield to get there. It can't just be scheme dependent. It's got to be a hall of fame type guy. So, you know, Melvin Gordon's great, but he didn't break a thousand last season. And I think the way the game is trending, the odds that that ever gets, maybe ever gets broken is really low yeah that one's safe for the broncos the the league record is by eric dickerson 1984 2105 yards but derrick henry did break uh terrell davis he topped terrell davis last season so but yes as a team probably safe but they're i mean the titans are a throwback team they run the ball more than almost anyone in the league um that's their identity they're just very few teams that still have that identity and i you know my yeah. personal opinion is that to win and to be consistently good you've got to throw the ball you, you know you talk about teams that want to run the ball as their main identity you can't score nearly as quickly you can't get away from teams i mean it, it works in certain environments but i'm not surprised that the chiefs have gone to the super bowl twice instead of the uh the titans yes you got to have a perfect situation where you're running the ball and you're not turning the ball over and you're sort of dominating time of possession and that kind of thing. So, uh, yes. Eric, most rushing touchdowns, also 1998 TD, 21. Man, that, that to me is more within reach just because I think the odds that somebody gets, you know, you find a truly elite goal line back and they just kind of um, – you know, Melvin Gordon, what, he had nine rushing touchdowns this year for a Broncos team that was not all that good scoring the football. If you had a, if you had a much better offense and you had more opportunities in the red zone, I think it's reasonable that Melvin Gordon could have gotten to, to 15 or so. And so I do think a truly special season, maybe you could push it. But so, so to me, that one's not a never going to be broken, but I do think it'll still take quite a while because you've got to have you've got to have a really good offense and you got to have some luck there where you know, you can't have all these bomb touchdowns. You've got to have some times where you're inside the five yard line and you got to run it in. Yeah. That one feels safe to me. Uh, the league record is LaDainian Tomlinson, 28 touchdowns. Yeah. In 2006. That's, that's safe. Uh, I think 21, that's a lot of rushing touchdowns. So uh, Eric receptions in a season by Broncos wide receiver, 2001 Rod Smith had 113. 113. Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe for the moment in Denver because you've got two really good receivers in Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. So far, 
neither of those guys have shown that they're even 80 to 90 catch guys. I mean, if, if Cortland were to truly break out, he's a high vol. He can be a high volume catch guy. Judy can be a high volume catch guy, but I think they're just going to kind of take some receptions from each other. Cortland as the, I don't want to be rude to anyone else on the team, Phil, but Cortland was the unquestioned number one in 2019. He dominated. He had 72 catches. And even this year, you look at a guy like Stefan Diggs, I think he had 114, 116 catches. I mean, it's it's really hard to get up there. So um, not out of the question if, if one of these guys becomes a truly dominant player, but a couple years at least. Yeah, I, I think that that one seems possible to break if, if uh, like, say, Judy, who gets open a lot, you know, starts picking up, you know, games where he's getting, you know, consistently 10, 12 catches a game, then they'll break that. The NFL record, Michael. Shattered if he did that. Well, yeah. The NFL record, Michael Thomas, 149. He did that two years ago. So. Right. Breaking uh, Marvin Harrison's record, I believe. Do you like Marvin Harrison? I just was mentioning some, some facts for people. Got it. In case people like facts. Receiving touchdowns, Eric. Demarius Thomas, 2013, he had 14 touchdowns. Yeah, I do think that that one is probably in danger. Um, Again, not imminently because you still have to have a really good season. But I think if Denver's offense really starts clicking at some point and you find a go-to – like like 14 to me is – is a really good pro bowl, all pro type year, but it's not like not the best season that has ever happened in the history of the NFL. So I could see Cortland. I, I think you want Cortland to have double digit touchdowns. If he doesn't get to 10, I think I'd be a little bit disappointed. And so, um, yeah, 14, certainly within reach. That's what that's one every other week, essentially, you know? Well, I was going to say 14 and 17 games doesn't sound that crazy, you know? Yeah. So well, not every other week, one 14, every week yeah. or so. It just doesn't sound like a crazy number. The record is 23 by Randy Moss, 2007. So that's that's a crazy number. That is crazy. Yeah. He broke Jerry Rice's record of 22. That also stood for 20 years. Uh, Eric, interceptions in a season, if we want to move over to the defensive side of the ball, Goose Gonsolin in 1960, 11 interceptions. More recently, Champ Bailey had 10 in 2006. Yeah, I don't I don't think that there's a chance there. I mean, it just doesn't – that's not how the game is played anymore. If you're an elite cornerback, you don't get targeted that much. It would take It would take a guy like Justin Simmons doing it at the safety position, I think. And it, I mean, that's just asking a lot. I mean, I could see Justin getting to seven. I could see him pushing eight and being at least in the, the range where you're saying, Hey, maybe this is a possibility, but um, that it would take a, an incredible season for him. Yeah. Like Justin had a great year last year. He had five. Yes. So champ Bailey doubled that. I do think, I mean, champ was not getting targeted but he still came up with 10, but that's because he's a first ballot hall of famer, you know? Right. So I'm not sure if there's a guy who on this Broncos roster, even though, you know, Kyle Fuller is a ball hawk. I mean that he does pick off the ball a lot, but I'm not sure if 10 
that seems like a, a lot of interceptions to me, uh, Eric. Um, yeah. It could be like Justin Simmons, like you said, just uh, being there in the in the center of the field, you know, roaming around, getting it. Uh, the record in the NFL, Night Train Lane, 14 interceptions in 1952. I was around to see that season. Uh, I, co- I covered that team. You uh, loved that season, I think, right? <laughs> uh, more recently, Lester Hayes, 13 interceptions in 1980. So those big numbers, seems like that happened a long time ago. Goose Gonsolin, 11, 1960. So. Yeah, pre, pre-merger. That was when you would throw a pass and you just kind of float it up there and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The wrap design's not quite as complicated at that time. Right. Um, the last individual one, Eric, sacks. Uh, Von Miller, 2012, 18 and a half sacks. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly adding another game where sacks, it's much easier to have that two or three sack performance that can completely change a season. Um, you're going to have to have a dominant pass rusher, but I do think it's it's possible at some point. And I think, too, the NFL record, which I believe is, what, 22 and a half or something like that, that that's also probably in danger because for, for sacks, as Yvonne always says, sacks come in bunches. And so it's less about being able to get one a game or whatever, but being able to have four or five games where you do have two sacks or three sacks. And if you have an additional chance to do that, um, obviously your odds of, of upping the total go way up. Yeah, 22 and a half is the most uh, Michael Strahan in 2001. By the way, I saw Michael Strahan got rid of the gap. He did. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, either. It's kind of, that was kind of his, uh, you know, trademark. Yeah, it's his signature. Uh, I don't think 18 and a half, that's not happening next season. I don't think. No. So, I mean, the goal for, I think, next season would be to have like Vaughn and Chubb both be in double digits. I think that then you're pretty happy, but 18 and a half. I don't think that's happening. Yeah. And if, if it does happen, I would, I would think Bradley would be the guy. Yeah. Yeah. We, you would hope you would hope the last one I wanted to do, Eric is a team one. Most wins, most wins (laughs) in a season, 1998, 14 wins for the Broncos. That one's interesting because on its like at face value, you think it becomes easier to, to win more games. But I also think you're going to see teams that are 14 and one or whatever. They might, they might rest their starters more. If you're 13 and two, it might be more cautious because of that extra weekend. So I don't know that we're going to see win totals drastically jump. And obviously to beat that for the Broncos, you've got to go 50, 15 and two, you've got to have a remarkable season. And we just need to get to I mean, nine and eight would be really nice to, to get back on the right side of the, the winning column. <laughs> Unless Drew Locke takes a <laughs> amazing step forward. I have it. I find it very hard to believe the Broncos are going to win 15 next year. Yeah. 15 would be a lot. I will say some teams are, might still go for big win totals just because there's only one team that has a buy now. Sure. So that could be the incentive there. But when you're talking about 14, 15 wins in a season, you might not have much competition at that point. How do you think the 72 Dolphins feel, uh, Eric? Because now, now to go for the perfect season, 
little bit harder. Bit harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They have, yeah, they probably feel nice. They might have already popped this year's bottle of champagne. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Eric, our final topic here on this episode of the Neutral Zone. Oh, the lights. The lights. Yeah, yeah, they're bored of us. That's uh, you only paid for that much for uh, this episode here. So, Eric, uh, why don't you go turn the lights back on? We have one more topic to discuss, and that is international games for the 2022 season. There's going to be four of them. Eric, how do you feel about the international, the increase in international games? I like it for, for one reason and that previously it's been kind of like, it's been very one-sided. So if you're a Jacksonville Jaguars fan living in London or, or in Jacksonville or wherever, I mean, you see your team play a lot of international games. And that could still continue. It's as if teams are allowed to continue to ask to play games. But there's been an issue in that there's there's a formula for the rest of the schedule. You know when you're going to play the Seattle Seahawks if you're the Broncos. You know when you're going to play the New England Patriots if you're the Broncos. You have no idea right now if you're the Broncos, when are you going to play an international game? I mean, it could just be – it could be two years in a row. It could be never. You just have – you have no clue. So the fact I like – that every team is going to play at least one every eight years because it doesn't narrow it down completely, obviously, but you know, if you're a fan, Hey, one of these is coming. You know, and if we get four years in and the Broncos still haven't played one, you know, Hey, at some point over the next four years, they're going to play an international game. And if I'm a fan, I can then say, I'm going to really make it a priority a year from now or two years from now or whenever it is to go over there and see this game. And so just giving fans something to look forward to something you can depend on that to me is a major improvement instead of it just being kind of this wait and see approach where some teams get almost all the games while others hardly ever go abroad. And I do think that it's important to expand the game globally. I mean, there's fans who live all over the world. So if you're a Broncos fan, you live in England, you know, you're going to see your team once every eight years. And I think that that's a positive thing. Uh, that's almost like if you lived in Denver and you were an NFC fan, you're only going to see your team once every eight years anyway. So um, more than that now, but yeah. Well, yeah, more than that now, but possibly, possibly not guaranteed though. So I do think that if you're, that an, is if you're a Lions fan in Denver, you're <laughs> seeing your team every year. Um, so I think that that aspect of it, of it is important. I also think for Broncos fans in particular, they were supposed to have a game last year in London against the Falcons. Of course, COVID changed that plan. So I think that if you are living in London, you're like, when, when are they going to make that up? Are they next in line? We should definitely find out more here with the schedule coming out supposedly in a couple of weeks here. So um, we'll have a better idea of what, what things look like and, I don't think it'll be next year, Eric, but. Um, no, it, it sounded like based on some reports that the NFL didn't address, but um, that there could be maybe two games this year. And so um, we've seen the Jaguars say that they want to play abroad this year. So maybe that happens for the Broncos, but we'll just have to see. But yeah, I think moving forward, uh, maybe you prioritize a team like the Broncos that thought they were going to play soon and, and didn't get that chance. The only team that's never played an international game is the Green Bay Packers. So uh, for the first time, they'll be forced to do that. Well, and I, you know, I don't like the idea of taking away a home game from 
a team like the Packers or obviously teams that play the Packers at home, they don't want to give up the revenue that comes from the Packers coming to town because there's tons of Packers fans. But by doing it the way they're going to do it, Phil, which assures that there's still going to be eight regular season home games at whichever team stadium that plays abroad, you don't really lose a game necessarily. Yeah, you just lose that team coming in, which was like the big problem for right. like say like Peyton Manning when he was with the Broncos. No home team wanted to lose out on Manning coming to their home stadium. Right. No, that's true. So but what we really want to talk about here, Eric, is where would be the most intriguing, most uh, fun location in the entire world to play a football game? Yeah, in mine. I don't know if this is too basic or too obvious, Phil, but I think playing one in the Roman Coliseum would be really, <laughs> really cool. I mean, if you could somehow, you'd probably have to uh, put some more scaffolding up and like put the base layer down a little bit more because currently it's not really set up for use. But if you could put a field down somehow and, and you know, secure it so that you're not ruining the foundation and then pack people in that stadium which I'm sure holds 100,000 people or something like that. I mean, it's just gigantic. That would be really fun. And football is the modern day gladiator sport. So I mean, you could go get a nice little pizza after Vic Fangio would be very happy. Get a little cannoli. Everybody's happy. You could do a little cacio e pepe. That would be nice. That could be nice. Yeah. yeah. Roman delicacy. Yeah. Um, that would Stanley be Tucci could call plays. <laughs> yes, he could. Yeah. Yeah, then you, yeah, that would be very nice. Um, I don't think that it would, it might like crumble to the ground in the middle of it. So well, I bet the, there's some good uh, structural engineers out there. I think they could figure it out. Um, historians probably would be concerned about preserving things, you know. Got it. So you're going to pick something boring like Folsom Field. Like, let's get okay, an NFL would, game there. Okay, that would obviously be very cool. Um, I was, I was thinking like, um, maybe like a different area that, um, has never really been exposed to live football before. Uh, so I was thinking maybe like India would be like a really cool, um, you know, just like the, um, excitement that that would cause, I think would be interesting. And they've obviously never played a game in India. So I was thinking, but some of these aren't realistic, Eric, because the travel is just way too far. Yeah, not nearly as realistic as playing in the Coliseum. You're right. More realistic than playing in the Coliseum, but um, Australia would be cool. They've obviously played games in Australia before. I don't think regular season game, but preseason no. football they played. The Broncos have. If you could set up like a little bit of a dome in Antarctica, that would be cool. That would be cool. What Probably about hard like, to get fans there? I would think. Yeah. What about Alaska? That could be possible. Yeah. You'd have to um, do one of the times of year where it's sunny all day instead of dark all day, or else you just have to play under the lights at like noon when the game started. Exactly. May I was thinking like maybe the first week of the season that would be cool because you know they played the Pro Bowl in Hawaii for so long, but Alaska just gets no love. That's true. You know, yeah. What What about Puerto Rico? That would be cool. I have a game in Puerto Rico. There's obviously a lot of areas that would be really cool to have a game. Yeah. I'm sorry that I took the best one first and just kind of made it difficult just for you to participate in this game. I think India would be really cool. 
you, you, you disagree. So like a certain venue that you like? Not, oh, you do? think you want? No, I, I wasn't. I was just thinking like exposure. You would build to a venue. You. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, exactly. That's too much for you to handle, huh? Yeah. Maybe people can comment below whether they'd rather see a game in the Coliseum or in India. They can let us know. Fine. You probably won. Colise- you probably won that battle. Well, we'll just see. We'll see. Oh, the other thing you could do is like just put it like in a really cool location that a lot of people would want to come visit. You know. Yeah, I kind of did both. Yeah, you took I did like cool for both stadium yeah. in a place people want to visit. Not that people don't want to visit India. I just think that the the stadium aspect of the Coliseum is much cooler. Yeah. Maybe you could like. How wide? Mm, that's probably a dumb. I'm gonna save that comment because that's kind of dumb. So we'll just that's all you're gonna give us is wide, huh? <laughs> yeah. If you know what was going on in my brain right there, comment <laughs> below, and um, I'll let the, you know if you're right. Reportedly, the NFL though is considering Munich, um, which could be cool for Oktoberfest. Maybe a little bit of a tie-in there. That would yeah. be that would be a lot of fun. And the I think considering South America too, I would. This is just a guess. I would think Rio would be near the top of that list, maybe. Uh, maybe um, with the, the Olympic, the Olympic construction there, probably it would yeah. make sense to be able. The to infrastructure is in place. Yes, that um, would make sense. Also closer than getting to like a Chile or Argentina. Yeah, that is true. The time, the time change probably wouldn't be too terrible there. No. What so, a, what's that country in the Middle East that's like built on an island? It's it's making um, Bahrain. No, dang it! I'm trying to think. You know, like where um, they play like tennis on top of a building. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a it's like a um, like Bahrain a lux- is an island. It's a luxury island. Hold on a second. Let me see if I can look this up. I'm, I'm, the, the name of the island is. Uh, Sorry that you asked me for an island in the Middle East, and I told you the only island in the Middle East, and you said it was Dubai. Wrong. Dubai. Sorry, not Dubai. an island. Not an island, but that's what I was thinking of. Dubai. Okay. Well, if you had said, if you had said like, what's that city in the Middle East? I would have. Sorry. Yeah. I was thinking Dubai. They could play a football game on top of a building, like on the roof. Yeah, would... and then you could go into the buy right after you played in Dubai. <laughs> could do that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. And just and just like hang out there and and yeah. at a resort or something. Yeah. Could be or, nice, but I. Or they would just build an island right off of Dubai. That's true. Then, that's possible. See, so yeah. maybe that's what I was thinking. Got it. You were just planning ahead. Yeah. No, Dubai would be really cool. Doha, you'll have all the stadiums uh, built for the World Cup in 2022. Maybe you uh, parlay that into a little bit of American football. That could be nice. You know a uh, lot about Doha, huh? I yeah, I studied there for six oh. months, and that's that's a peninsula, Phil, which means it's that's surrounded on three sides by water, and then connected to land on the fourth side. Looks like a little thumb. Hmm. So not an island. Florida is another example of a peninsula. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I was confused. I guess. Yeah, Puerto Rico, island. Island. Yeah. Hawaii. Islands. Islands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're you. really getting it. Thank you. 
Eric, probably that time of the show where we need to wrap this thing up uh, with our yeah. favorite segment, shout outs. Are we allowed to do that either? Shout out to um, my elementary school geography teacher. <laughs> yeah. You tried your best, I guess. Yeah, I tried. I tried. No, they I, tried their best. I feel bad for them. They I devoted tried. Their life, they tried. They, de yeah. they devoted their life to teaching young children and you're just it, out here calling places islands. To be fair, that was in 1922, so. Yeah. I, I would assume that... Um, Phil, do you know what country Dubai is in? Am I just going to make you feel bad by testing you? Yeah, don't. Let's not go down that. <laughs> let's not go. Okay. Yeah, let's okay. not do that. Sorry. Um, I'll just tell you the United Arab Emirates. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. Yeah. Um, I'm not even sure if that country was founded when you were in geography class, so that could be why. See, that's confused. probably what happened. That's probably what happened. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's in Qatar. I know that. There we go. Yeah, you're on it. I know that one. Don't test Phil on the Middle East. Yeah. Um, yeah. The UAE did not gain independence from the UK until 1971. So that's what that's it was. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Uh, shout out Liz Manis. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What, why, why shout out Liz Manis, Eric? Just curious as to what was Just, going on. Um, I think she knows her geography a little bit better. Um, there was an in-person Boys and Girls Club visit earlier this week. I think uh, Derek Tuska was there. Derek uh, Tuska, McTelvin Aguim. Yeah. Um, was Mike Purcell there? I'm not sure. Mike Purcell was there. Yeah. Yeah. See? yeah. So that's kind of cool that they got to nice go for in them person. To be, yeah, nice to be back out there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, shout out. Uh, the availability of vaccines in Colorado now. Yes. Yeah. We yeah. like it, Phil. Opening it up like uh, it. starting on Friday, April 2nd. That's right. So we'll uh, encourage everyone to get those. Everybody out there giving, administering uh, the vaccine. Shout out to them. Uh, that's a lot of hard yeah. work. Thank you for your, for your service in that area. Yes. So helping us get things back to normal is quickly as possible. I think we very that they much appreciate it. Um, at the meetings this week uh, for the league, I think that they are expecting uh, fans in the stands for the, for the 2021 season. The Coliseum in Rome is going to be packed. That was a ridiculous answer. <laughs> I was not as prepared for that segment as I would have liked to have been. Yeah. I, well, I you were looking up every record in the, in the book. Yeah. So I didn't See, know how far we were going to go. I thought we were going to do field goal percentage for the I, season. I looked up a lot in the Broncos media guide. I looked up a lot of NFL records. Did total not net total net punting yards in a 16 game season. I, I was not quite as prepared for uh, the Dubai. I should have been, I should have been. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny to me, Phil, that you had a whole like, uh, Cairo would actually be a very cool place to do one in Egypt. That would be exciting. That would be. Um, but it's just funny to me. You had this whole globe and like, presumably, you know, lots of different places. On I do the globe. know. I chose India, but then yeah. I also thought Dubai would be cool. Yeah. And then you were like, well, let me change my answer to a place that I 
don't really know anything about. I just knew uh, that they played tennis at the top of that building. And when you mentioned, yeah. when you mentioned uh, um, the Coliseum, I was like, oh, what's uh, what's another yeah. cool like venue? That's that would be like if I was like, let's do it in Turkmenistan, and you were like, well, what's the capital of Turkmenistan? And what would you say? <laughs> I would not have known. According to Google, it's oh, Ashgabat, but I did not know that before uh, looking it up. I don't even know if that's right, but I think it is. If uh, Wikipedia said it, then you know it's right. It is right. Ashgabat. There you go. Nice Built job. along the Silk Road. It's just a very informational episode of the Neutral yeah. Zone. Yeah. You come for uh, uh, football content, but you, you leave with uh, Silk Road content. Exactly. It's nice. All right. So. Well, hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode. Uh, in addition to uh, geography lessons, we also talked about the top five quarterbacks in this year's NFL draft. We also talked about the league expanding to 17 games this season and how that might impact the record book moving forward. And then we wrapped up with uh, some cool locations around the globe that maybe the NFL should legitimately consider moving forward. Emphasis on the legitimately there. So I agree. Yeah. Good thing nobody listens to this part of the podcast. So I think <laughs> I'm saying that's true. Certainly not Roya Burton. Definitely not Roya Burton. So we'll be back next week uh, talking more, I'm sure, about the NFL draft. But until then, for Eric Delala, my good friend, Eric Delala, I am Phil Milani. You've been listening to The Neutral, the neutral Zone. Zone.